I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. EF Education Nippo have always said they want to do bike racing differently. Or well, one of their riders is definitely taking a different approach to this year's Tour de France. Lachlan Morton is riding the whole route, including the transfers, on his own, carrying all his kit with him and sleeping wherever he can. He's raising money for World Bicycle Relief along the way. Also on this podcast, a new book takes a different look at our relationship with food on and off the bike. This is Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. So while his teammates and the rest of the peloton are ferried to and from stage starts in air-conditioned buses with soigneurs and mechanics to cater for all their needs, EF Education Nippo's Lachlan Morton is doing it solo. His aim? To reach the Champs-Élysées before the peloton, raising money across the three weeks to buy bikes for communities in need. I caught up with him as he was packing to leave. So yeah, I'm following the exact same Tour de France route except I'll be also riding the transfers that the guys will be doing in the buses. Yeah, I basically will ride the stage and then also the transfer to the next stage all the way until we get to Paris. So it's roughly 5,500 kilometres, maybe a bit more. So that's a couple of thousand more kilometres than the actual yeah. Tour de France route. Then. Yeah, it's, it's actually um, when I agreed to do it i didn't realize quite how much longer it was if i'm honest but yeah it, it's significantly longer and no rest days and no support yeah because of the the last transfer up to paris it's they you know everyone catches the plane up um and i'll be riding an extra 700k to get there so in order to be able to do that and get there on the same day as the race i need to get ahead so i'll be using the rest days to do that and then, yeah, I'm doing it self-supported. So I'll carry everything I need to feed myself and sleep outside and do whatever repairs are necessary. So, yeah, that's the, that's the intent. So no staying in team hotels, no massages, no chef cooking you no. dinner every night. None <laughs> no, of that. None of that good stuff. <laughs> none of the treats of the race. Yeah, I think I'll be sleeping outside uh more often than not and yeah i mean finding food where i can on the route uh, i've got the ability to cook my own meals with a little gas burner so yeah it's a pretty basic setup but um i'm hoping it's all all i need to get it done 
So I guess this is going back to what it was like sort of in the early 1900s, wasn't it? All those stories about people having to mend their front forks at the local blacksmiths and all that stuff. Yeah, there's always the forks, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the idea is to kind of throw it back to like what the Tour de France was sort of originally about, which, you know, it was quite different than, than what it is today. Um, it was it was much more of a an adventure, you know. It was it was very much like a there was a, a large sort of survival element. So yeah, I initially we we weren't going to do it self supported, but um, I kind of insisted on that just because yeah, I kind of want that experience just to see for myself, you know, or get an idea of what it might might have been like. Just basically feel what it's like to do a lap of France um, under your own power. Wouldn't it be just relatively speaking easier just to ride the Tour de France with the team? Yes and no. <laughs> I think it depends on who you are. For me, I think this is uh, easier in a way that like it's something that um, you know, physically it kind of suits my capabilities, but also mentally it's very stimulating and and inspiring because uh, it's sort of fresh and new and there's a lot of uncertainty around it. And as much as I love racing, um, pressure environment that is like, you know, riding the Tour de France, I can't imagine <laughs> dealing with that. So uh, I think from my perspective, this is easier, but that's also without having done it. <laughs> so I might have a very different view in three weeks' time. You reckon you can do it, though? To be honest, I'm really not sure. I think, like, initially the idea, um, I was pretty certain. I was like, yeah, yeah, that could be done. And then the more we kind of dug into the reality of what it looks like, um, I became a lot less certain that it could be done. And at the same time, that sort of made me more inspired to do it. Because you know anything that, if you were sure you could do it, it's kind of like well, it's it's not difficult enough. Um, you need like an an element of uncertainty and surprise. And I know there's going to be like so many different obstacles that you know have no idea what they are now, but they're going to pop up on the road to be overcome. And any one of those obstacles could totally derail you. you know? I'll tell you what a couple of obstacles are. There's 65,000 metres of climbing and uh, solo yeah. up the Tour Malay and Mont Ventoux as well. Um, you're looking forward to those? You know, having like fully packed my bike in the last hour and lifted it up, um, no. <laughs> it weighs, I think it weighs more than twice as much as it normally does. So, yeah, the, all the climbing is going to be done at a much slower pace. Um, with about the same effort but yeah i don't know um i think it's just a a very different challenge um so you kind of have to switch your mindset from you know racing these climbs and it's funny because i've raced both those climbs within the last month and the experience i have on them you know a month later is going to be totally totally different but it's about it's more of a mindset you know you're not you're not in it to race for the yellow jersey you're in it to like you're right you're riding against the course i guess can people come along and ride with you i know you're unsupported but if people are in the area can they 
kind of join you on this ride. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, we're going to be out there on, on public roads and, you know, there's not, there's absolutely nothing stopping anyone. Um, they know more or less where I'm going to be. <laughs> and the routes are all public. So, yeah, no, there's, there's nothing stopping anyone from, from coming along, sharing a few Ks. Hopefully no one waking me up when I'm asleep on the side of the road, but outside of that, any company is welcome. And you're not doing this just for fun, if, if fun is what it is. You're, you're doing it for a good cause as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, we're raising money for World Bicycle Relief, which is it's great to have a cause that's sort of beyond yourself, you know. Uh, and the bike's done so much for me in my life um and, and you know it can do so much more for people who um who have a lot less so to be able to to be part of that um it's great you know it's i'm sure it's going to give me a bit of extra motivation in those dark moments because yeah the reality is if you're doing it purely for your own your own benefit or um your own reasons they tend to dry up pretty quick i think um so in a lot of ways it's kind of it's also beneficial for me to have a reason beyond you know just me seeing if i can do it and people can follow your progress online can't they they can dot watch like uh, with long distance races yeah i'll have a uh, a tracker with me at all times so yeah people will be able to see where i'm at and we'll have the the route up there so yeah anyone can can follow along the progress well good luck Lachlan hope it all goes well for you and you can follow Lachlan's progress on um, uh, rafa.cc the alt tour and thanks for joining us no thanks for having me why hello there podcast interruption alert but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast you will love the regular magazine so if you're not a reader already then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as six pounds per month if you don't speak northern irish that's six times 100 pennies and for the price of a few coffees you get regular columns from the wonderful ned bolting myself orla shinoui and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. This is Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists, from the coffee and cake rider to the crit racer. Lacquer has transformed traditional insurance. No more fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your maximum monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. Plus, 80% of your money goes straight back into the Lacquer Collective, fixing, replacing and helping. And the other 20% keeps their wheels spinning. It's as simple as that. Claims are handled by their team of cycling experts and usually agreed within a day. With no depreciation or excess, they've ditched annual contracts. With Lacquer, if you want to leave, you can, any time. If you head over to www.lacquer.co, new customers can get their first 30 days free by signing up today with the discount code RULER. (laughs) 
Food and cycling are inseparable. In fact, I think we've talked about food on this podcast almost more than any other subject, except perhaps coffee. A new book looks at an under-examined aspect, the relationship between women cyclists and what they eat. It's called Eat, Bite, Cook, and it's by Phoebe Cannon and Kitty Pemberton-Platt. Kitty joins us now on the podcast. Kitty, where did the idea come from? It started a few years ago. I got into cycling when I was about 24 and probably like most people the thing that keeps you in cycling is the people uh, and the experiences and I guess one of those experiences was the enjoyment of food and in particular the enjoyment of food shared with others. So during my like just experience of being a cyclist with with other people I started to really love and um, being interested with people's food choices, what they had in the morning. You start to then get obsessive in like a really positive way about where you stop for a cafe. I got into racing and, you know, making your Tupperware and knowing what you eat after a race. It all becomes just really endearing and, and a part of the, of the hobby. And then I'm also just really, I'm really passionate about bringing a new aesthetic, a new design into women's sports. And so a few years ago, I just started illustrating the menu choices of different female cyclists. So there was a few professional cyclists who gave me what they ate during a world championships race. And then there were some uh, training rides, people who do duathlons. And I started to illustrate them because personally, I just found it really interesting and I found them entertaining and I found them playful um, and the little nuances and the details of people's food choices, just something like lovely to look at. But I also hope that by doing it, that other people would see that it's not as serious as maybe we all make it out to be. Like, there isn't a perfect menu for every single cyclist. And of course, if you are a professional athlete, there are definitely do's and don'ts and things that help you. But if you're just an everyday rider, who is passionate about it, but has a job and has other things going on. I just wanted to kind of show the reality and also just the fun and the way that you should approach it in a much you know lighter, lighthearted way. And there are so many cycling recipe books around at the moment, written by different sort of sports chefs or team chefs. Um, how's, how is yours different? How is your book different? The Eat, Bite, Cook recipe book is actually based on stories first and recipes second. I think a lot of recipe books are about whether in cycling anyway, here's more performance-based recipes to help you be faster or stay on the bike longer. Where Eat, Bike, Cook originated from was let's tell the stories of what goes on on the bike, but through the food that you ate. And then the recipes almost came second to that. Um, so you, you see each of the stories from the women, you see the illustrated map of what they've eaten, and then the recipes then say, okay, if you wanna go and do that, here's the best version of that food that you can go and enjoy. So I hope it's much more playful. I hope it's much more entertaining as a coffee table book, as well as just a recipe book. And I hope there's just a general sense of, this is possible for anyone, if you're busy, you're full-time, you're not a pro athlete, 
you're just trying to navigate, you know, a, a full time job and a family, but you can still go and make these new uh, and different recipes. And you started with these drawings, um, which were mainly sort of shared on social media. Yeah, they were just illustrations. I posted them on social media and people just seemed to resonate with them. And whether that was just from a enjoyable, like they enjoyed it, they found them entertaining, they found them playful or the other side they found them like educational or informative or as I say, made them feel slightly better with what they needed to eat on the bike. Um, and so I just kept doing more of them because the, the opportunities are huge. Like if you take someone who's just doing a two hour training ride versus someone who's on like a six hour Audax at the weekend, the, the span of menus is, is huge. So it's interesting that you started when you were 24, started getting into cycling when you were 24 and um, what was that like because cycling can be quite a exclusive sport um, to outsiders and beginners yeah I didn't experience it that way I think from a young age I've always been into sport and design they're the two things that have really led my passions and the way that I spend my time and whatever sport or design that is, 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 I've just changed. So when I was younger, it was team sports and drawing. And then as I got older, I, I got into running because you leave school and you just do something that you can do by yourself. And I studied design at university. And then I started to work for a sports brand. And the team that I was in, they were just all cyclists. It wasn't really a choice. It felt like in that group, you had to be a cyclist if you were going to go and do sport together. And so I personally uh, didn't, I didn't know anything. I was starting from scratch. And so I didn't have anyone originally around me to kind of say, this is how you do it, or here's the lessons. But I didn't, I didn't necessarily find it intimidating because quite quickly I found a group of, of women who I started to cycle with and I think that made a huge difference because cycling is, is so different on depending on who you ride with. And the first group of people that I rode with were all like amazing women, super kind, all on this kind of learning experience together. And so even though, yes, there's a reality in it being relatively difficult, loads of things you have to buy, you have to learn a lot, you go through your own personal journey. If you're surrounded by the right people, you always figure a way to find out an answer um, and that was certainly my that was certainly my experience when did you sort of realize that maybe there was something different about the way that women cyclists approach um the food as opposed to male cyclists and do you think it's a it's, do you think it's a big fundamental difference or there's certainly similarities no matter your gender anyone that cycles shares a lot of interests shares a lot of passions, shares the same values. That doesn't, that's gender agnostic. Like cyclists have got a lot of interests that are the same. Um, you start to realise the differences, I think, when you're on group rides, there is just a, a slightly different sense of community when riding with a group of women. And I, I've said this before, that it's certainly not as binary as that. It's not women ride one way and men ride the other. There's, there's extreme similarities. But the way that women approach the bike is just, you know, fundamentally different based on other things that are going on in their life. So it may be that women are having to navigate their ride around 
um, things at home, children, a different work career, differences with like uh, periods and time of the month and stuff that men don't have to potentially have to worry about. And, and, and so the differences are probably relatively small, but the, the differences are more just like how we talk about it, how we speak about it on the bike. It's much more open, I think. And I certainly found that I just, I, I felt that with the, the group I was riding with, but there's definitely, you know, similarities between, between men and women. Now, if you want to see what pro cyclists eat, you sort of just have to follow them on Instagram or social media because their food's all over it, isn't it? Do you, do you, think, they, do you think that's a realistic picture of uh, what cyclists actually eat? I think it's probably a realistic picture for professional athletes, as much as social media can be realistic we all know it's a, it's a tiny window into someone's life. So there is, the, there is an honesty to that and there's a reality that that is what they're eating. But the majority of us aren't professional athletes and we have full-time jobs. We have to navigate other things. We have to make food for family. And a lot of our food isn't for performance. It's not fuel-based food. It's surrounding with other, with other people. It's stopping off at a cafe. It's making sure our family are fed. But the reason for our food is completely different. So there is a reality to, to what they eat, but I don't necessarily think it's what we should compare ourselves with, just trying to be a good cyclist at the weekend and in, and in the week. Everyone's different. Everyone's stories are different. Everybody's bodies are different. Everyone's goals are different. And there are some rules that are useful for everyone. And there are some guidelines and principles that, of course, are helpful um, but if if you judge your success based on the menu of professional athlete, it's it's not going to give you a realistic um, gauge on whether you're doing you know okay, you're doing good enough. <laughs> you're doing good enough. What do you sort of hope to achieve with the book? There's three main goals with the book. The first one is my general passion point for for bringing modern culture into women's sport and doing something that's not currently available. Um, the second one is just an enjoyable and entertaining book that you enjoy flipping through. You've spent your money on it. You're going to spend time reading through it. You just want it to be an enjoyable read that people love. And then the third one is an education and, and, inform, and you know, a, an informative book. And whether that is you are learning how to do DIY electrolytes on the, on the go, which is, which is in there, or whether that's education on a reality check and being kind to yourself and this more holistic approach to fueling for the bike whilst also staying sane, <laughs> whatever that inform information is that you need or whatever education you need at this point, I hope you, you take something away from it that just makes you feel slightly better. Okay. Eat, Bike, Cook is published by uh, Kitchen Press. Kitty Pemberton-Platt, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.